This is Bo Buchanan here with another edition of On the Level. And I am here speaking with Antonio Lugo. Antonio, please give me your full name, the name of your home, Blue Lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Uh, my name is Antonio L. Lugo. I currently belong to Peoria Lodge number 31 in Peoria, and I am the senior deacon this year. And do you have any other titles in any other Masonic organizations? I am currently the senior warden of the Rosé Croix of the Scottish Rite Valley of Phoenix. Okay. So tell me, how did you remember the first time you ever heard of this thing called Masonry? Actually, I really do. Uh, give or take about being nine years old, I was at my godfather's house on a winter vacation. And my godfather came over to me and presented to me what appeared now, what I would know to be a code book. And he said, let me ask you something, son. Let me, uh, let me show you something. Come here. And very endearingly, he said, take a look at this. Let me, let me show you. What, what, what is this? And, of course, having no idea what I'm looking at at that particular moment. And then I started to really, you know, I give, give or take about five to ten seconds, you start to realize that one word would mean something that I can't say right now. And when he noticed that I had kind of an affinity to put two and two together, he took it away from me and said, that's enough out of you right now. And gave me an inkling to say something along the lines of, one of these days you will come back to me and you'll ask me about this and we'll talk then. So that was my introduction to it. And I remember throughout the years, he would give me wise counsel. And sure enough, Later on, I discovered that he was a Scottish Rite 32nd degree Mason. So when was the next time you started, I don't know, researching and looking into it after your youth? And you, throughout the years he gave you counsel, when did you like take the next step? Um, Even if it was just research, not necessarily joining. He was, he was very forthright with me because what ended up happening after that particular visit is that I always ended up, he had a talent for being there for me whenever there was a need. And I started to realize that the ideology of stating the widow's son means, you know, stepping up whenever there's a need. And, you know, at that time, you know, I was in a fatherless situation. So he would come to the house and pick me up at random and just, I would stay with him for weeks at a time if necessary. And I could see it was almost like he just knew that a father figure was necessary at that point take me out of wherever I was at and uh, whether I was going down the wrong path. You know, I lived in New York City at the time and being a teenager in New York or being a young male in New York City without any proper guidance is kind of a tumultuous thing. And I have infinite amounts of respect for him because I wouldn't listen to too many people that my mother would uh, put in front of me for me to take heed to because I felt that their experience or their wisdom that was trying to be imparted to me was coached, whereas his was very understanding. He was originally from Brooklyn. He had a rough childhood, and then he became a uh, United States Marine and went to Vietnam the whole nine, came back and became a cop. After being a cop, he was a correction officer, then retired and ran the security force that dealt with New York City clubs. So just in that timeline, he dealt with a lot of similar things that I had gone through in my life because... Growing up in New York City, you get caught up in some, you know, streetwise trouble. And then I was heavily into the club scene during my early to late teens and going into my 20s. And for some reason, he was just always there every step of the way, giving me wise counsel, which going through the years later on, I started to discover 
as part of going through the degrees, a lot of the wise counsel that he, he was giving me was so where, actually lessons. Where were you living at this time? In the Bronx. By, by with the, the... Uh, Give or take around uh, 15 years old is when I had uh, moved out from my mother's house and okay. was on my own for on your own at 15? a while. Yeah. Any brothers and sisters? Uh, my older sister, but she was already gone by the time I was, give or take, about eight or nine. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, and dad was nowhere in the picture. My father... Uh, he's now since deceased, but he was an undercover New York City police detective. So needless to say, if it wasn't work, once he retired, he had to skedaddle out of New York City. So he wasn't oh. really too present during my formulative years. So you're, you're 15, you moved out. Is that when you, is that when you got into the club scene? Uh, I would say I was into the club scene from very early on. Uh, my mother used to throw the parties for the correction officer organization, which gave me kind of an affinity in music. And just in going to these different clubs after like certain parades, et cetera, that she would march in and I would always be with her organization. I don't want to sit there and put her out on blast to, you know, which law enforcement agency she was with, but I would be like the little kid that was dressed up in the full uniform. So I would always get to go with her to the parties afterwards and be with the dignitaries or be with, you know, the people that were within that organization. Of course, it made me start to love that club scene so much that I started to foray at the age of 13 and 14. And of course, being that age in the early 90s in New York City was very different. It was the kind of uh, coming of age story where being at that time, you could get into the club at that age. Right. It wasn't necessarily the best thing for me, but you tend to grow up pretty fast in those circumstances. Um, I may be a little off base here, but from what I know, the club scene, I've seen some musics and things around, they kind of embrace that image of the Illuminati, don't they? Was that part of your experience, or did you research or hear about that? Did that play any role in your, your research no. of Freemasonry? No, actually, my research of Freemasonry started to come to be because of the fact that my mother has a very intuned search for her own spirituality. In her doing so, throughout my life, I've been exposed to a lot of different practices from very early on. So like I said, when I was nine years old, my godfather introduced what I would later know as what we call a code book, etc. Whereas my mother, she was very heavily into the Afro-Cuban studies, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, she also was heavily into like Native American shamanism. She was also into meditation. She was also into Edgar Casey. She was also into what most people would consider esoterics. So, so you got exposed to a wide variety of original thought, so to speak. All at the same time going to Catholic school. <laughs> it's original. So having the you know, the ideology of learning about dogmatic practices and then at the same time you you know, for eight hours of the day you're going to a school that's enforcing discipline and a spiritual discipline so to speak. And then to come home and your mother's reading Edgar Casey books and learning about, you know, astral projection and meditation, etc. And you start to just become open to different possibilities of what what you're being told is right for you, but then what you start to see may be right for somebody else, another different discipline. And what it actually did was give me kind of a fearless approach to spirituality in itself. So by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I, like I said, one of the reasons that I left my mother's house is because I was rebellious to what she had believed in. 
because in her mind she thought that involving me with what she was taking part of would somehow give me enough discipline to not go down the route that I might have been taking at that time as a young man and you know going out to the club scene and, and you know taking part in just you know being out to all types of the hours like I mean I was young and sneaking out of the house at 10 o'clock at night and getting off of the bus coming back to where we lived at at 6 30 in the morning and going right to school these are things that at that age you know we think about it now like you shouldn't be doing that but like I said I was impressionable I was young and it was the norm back then and I would say in upon my own going to college I started to because I was looking for my own spirituality or rebelling against hers so adamantly that I started to study philosophy and religion and what I started to realize is that most of the individuals that I came into contact with over the course of my life at that young stage and looking for like a father figure or looking for somebody to look up to just so happened to be Freemasons. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what was the, what took it from the book learning and research to, I'm going to go check this out. Before I moved to Arizona when I was give or take about 23, 24 years old, I was studying philosophy at Kane University, and I started to look into that discipline that my godfather had introduced me to, and I started to see kind of a, a string of what I would call coincidental occurrences that you start to realize are not so coincidental, i.e. different philosophers or different philosophies that were just in tune with each other, and... I just started to see a certain unifying manner in how one would conduct himself, whether it be stoicism or whether it be ideologies of society and abiding by rules and certain laws that govern us. And uh, I started to, I started to look into Freemasonry. And I went to my godfather's lodge, which ended up being one of the lodges down on 23rd Street in Manhattan, was uh, the main, the, the Grand Lodge that they have over there. Oh, yeah, I've been there. And... You know, he gave me an application, and they were doing the degree that night, so they pretty much made me wait. And in the outside room, and of course, the Tyler was watching me. I didn't realize who he was at the time until now. You know, Tyler's sitting there watching me, and I stood there in a chair, upright as as could be possible. You know, hands folded for about four hours, and then when they came out, you know, and we spoke about it a little bit, and he's like, "So you're moving, huh?" I said, "Yeah, I'm moving." So he's like, "All right, well." When you get to Arizona, make sure you look us up. We're not hard to find. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we're everywhere. Don't worry about it. You know, you'll be able to find brothers just like me or a lodge just like this one. So I said, okay. And, excuse me. And then uh, by the time I came to Arizona, I ended up looking up a lodge that was later to become Peoria 31, which is funny because the same lodge I visited back in 2005, and I realized that I wasn't quite ready for it, that I still had to get myself established in Arizona, you know, get my career in, in, in tune, especially moving into the relationship that I was in. I was now the head of, a, you know, the male head of a family. I, I figured I would need to have certain things in order before I could give the dedication to the craft because I respected it that much at that particular time, so I wasn't quite ready for it. Let me back in a minute. So when you started researching Freemasonry until the time that you went to that uh, Grand Lodge of New York and turned your application in, or tried to, what, how long a period was that? 
I would say about three years. Okay, about three years. So the interest was there. Interest was there. Three years research, kind of playing around, uh, talking to your uncle. My godfather. My, I'm sorry, your godfather. Oh. Um, and then he went by the Grand Lodge, and I said, well, you're moving, so you got to kind of check it out somewhere else. That, that was the first inclination <laughs> of it would be best for you to do this journey somewhere where you're able to dedicate your time. Right. So I said, okay. And not only was my interest peaked at that particular moment with the craft, but when somebody that you respect that deeply is that heavily involved, you start to know, uh, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this the right way. So, like I said, I was out on my own since I was 15 years old. And I didn't have that stability until, give or take, my early to mid-20s. So I wasn't going to go ahead and do something and dedicate myself to something that I had that much of a respect for until I had stability in my own life. You know, you can't walk into something and have your, you know, have your cup of water be foggy when you're trying to get purity to something that ultimately encourages perfection. That's so you, when you came, what year was it when you came to Arizona? I came to Arizona at the tail end of 2004, okay. going into 2005. So then you were here for a while until you made a visit to Peoria, then made, pulled back again. Made a visit to Peoria in 2005, and I'll never forget it because I was... Uh, I started to talk to one of their individuals that was in charge of their like online program that they had at the time. And the funny part about it is that, you know, usually from the secretary after you visit a lodge, you'll get a little bit of a letter saying, hey, thanks for coming, et cetera, good for you. Hope to see you again. All right, cool. So I went for that visit, realized that wasn't my time yet. So that was back in 2005. I didn't walk back into the same lodge until 2016. Oh, wow. So that's uh, 15 years from the first time, that three-year period. If we count that three-year period, you started searching, you went to the Grand Lodge. So it's almost like an 11-year 11, 11 period? Quite, okay. quite some time. The funny part is that uh, I found the envelope to that letter fairly recently, and it ended up being from illustrious Sam Graziano, <laughs> who... Anybody who knows me knows I, I, I look at that man with a lot of admiration and adoration. He's a great individual and a great person to really... Who we interviewed and look up the legend of the Ruby Ring, and that's Sam Graziano. You want to hear Sam's story? Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. No, no worries. And, you know, I, I, look, to, I look to him for a lot of mentorship and a lot of admiration. You know, he's a great person to learn from, especially with this particular discipline. Um, so, yeah... By the time I, I went back to the lodge, it was 2016, and at that time I felt ready to be able to dedicate myself and be able to have that enough discipline to know that I'm going into something that's going to take a lot of work and take a lot of time and take a lot of focus on my part to be able to be really good at, but I wasn't realizing how much self-discipline and uh, how much you end up looking at yourself in the process. And I wasn't sure that I was ready for that, but at the same time, I don't think most of us really are when we get into this particular journey, if we really take heed to the lessons that we learn. And I've uh, found those particular life lessons to be not only a blessing, but at times it's a curse because now we're held to a certain standard of responsibility. And, you know, we don't have the choice to deviate from that, you know, without betraying ourselves without betraying our brothers without betraying the craft and so and as you know in essence really our dedication to our obligations you know and 
I find that I, I've always said that if enough men at maybe like the age of 18, the formulative years, had to take the same obligations as we have as, as Master Masons, the world would be a better place and be in a lot better shape because, you know, women have their rites of passage that let them know that, hey, guess what? You're a woman now. Usually, unless, unless you know, a male takes part in the, in the military, et cetera, or takes part in, like, the, the Boy Scouts, et cetera, you know, we used to have it in, in a tribal form where we'd sit there, send you off into the woods, go kill an animal, come back, don't come back empty-handed or, you know, empty-handed or survive. And in today's society, a lot of us don't really have that. I think I had that with my just, you know, trial by fire with having to be out on my own at a young age. But at the same time, you know, having a certain set of morality would have helped at that particular point. Yeah, and that was more survival and you didn't get a chance to really learn the true life skills yet. Right. So 2016, uh, you come back. Did they remember you? Did you remember Sam? Did you remember anybody? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. And uh, it was funny because I had an affinity towards my now mentor, who's also one of my best friends in life, of course, uh, worshipful brother Michael Gotti. And he was, at that time, learning how to do a certain discipline of uh, artwork, utilizing a certain medium that I just so happened to be very in tune with. So that was our common ground when we were speaking to each other over the Facebook page. And he had advised me, he said, yeah, you know, whenever you get a chance, come and visit us. We'd love to sit there and have you sometime, et cetera. And then I visited. And to be honest with you, from that visit, I've never missed a Tuesday since. So how long did it take you put in? Uh, you went back to Peoria. Did you have, you had to do six months? Absolutely. Right, because you didn't know anybody there? Gladly. And then you put in your application? Sure. And how, how soon, how long did it take before you were... Raised, as we say, in masonry? I would say October through February. October through February. Okay, so February of 2017? Of 20... No, yeah. 2016? Not that long. You're kind of a babe in the woods still. Yeah. So one of the things I love to do is I like to get a feel for how long. You know, we see guys come into masonry and everybody's like, oh, you should join. You should join. Come join us. But we forget about our own process of seeking. Right. Sometimes it's a lengthy process. Right. Um, From the time that, you know, when I try to gauge is from the time that you were seriously searching till the time you joined a lodge, if you were... I'm trying to remember when that three-year period was when you were in college. What year do you think that was that you were really looking around and discovered Freemasonry as a discipline and started researching it? I would say 2001 to about 2004. Okay, so so let's right. say you started in 2001. Flash forward to 2016 when you finally came back. It's 15 years. Right. A 15-year period of that seeking. That whole time wanting to become a Freemason, the whole time meeting people in Arizona that were at different corporate positions that I've had that were Masons in town that would bring me applications, but it just for some whatever reason, I wouldn't hand in the application because my thing was the individuals that I was speaking to at that particular time weren't as active in their lodges. So whenever I would say, hey, you know, 
When do you go to Lodge? Oh, I don't really go to Lodge that much. Okay, you know, but in some ways, maybe that wasn't the right connection for you, right? Absolutely, we like to right. say in masonry that every lodge is a personality. Maybe you were drawn back to Peoria for a reason, you know. And and uh, so, I guess one of the things I like to to make sure people understand that are listening is your process might be longer. Your process is pretty long. Absolutely. Other guys, the process might be three years. It might be a year. You know, you don't you don't know. Mine was probably a couple of years from when I started looking. So, uh, it's okay to take that time to seek it. This is what I always like right. to say. So something kept you going other than your um, godfather. Your godfather. I didn't want to get that wrong again. <laughs> other than your godfather who was, who was kind of feeding you some information and really giving you some good counsel, what was the, what was the draw of, I'm going to keep going, this 15 years keep coming back and looking at this, this organization's a long time. What, uh, what kept pulling you? I want to say it was the, in studying different philosophies and studying different religions and seeing the common ground that certain disciplines all shared with the craft, which, I mean, as of right now, with certain things that we've studied, might not be able to explain or as far, you know, without divulging anything, don't want to say, so to speak, but it's just when you start to notice, hey, I remember this, this part is the same thing as this. Right, right. Because... Like I said, since my mother was a part of so many different disciplines, me being her son, of course, and me being at an age where she would say, hey, get over here, we're going to go do this, I would have no choice but to go do this with her. But in this particular discipline, you're going through this, and then all of a sudden there's a moment when they're saying, they're asking you, you know, what uh-huh. you're looking for, and then yeah. it's just like, oh, eureka moment. <laughs> wink, wink, you know? And then in this particular discipline, you go through this, and then, you know, with the Native American shamanistic journey, and, you know, oh, what were you looking for at that particular moment? Ah, okay. So once Similar you finally threat. got in, was it was it what you expected? Was there some things that you didn't expect? To be honest with you, and I will say this on recording, and most people that know me probably would not believe you or me unless they heard it directly from me, there was not a single degree that I went to or as far as, you know, that I went through myself where I didn't have tears in my eyes and the reason being for that is because number one I could tell that the people that were around me at that particular moment in time genuinely cared for what was occurring and the work that was being done but number two because there was there were certain words or phrases that I started to pick up in the advice that my godfather was giving Mm -hmm. me during my childhood and teenage years that he was doing to help guide me in the right direction. And it's almost like an Easter egg in a movie. Like, you know, we're going to foreshadow by telling you this and you don't realize that almost like my whole life I've been being prepared for that moment. So to hear it in Lodge during that moment from somebody that's 2,000 miles away that has no way that they can know him personally. And then to see that so many men that I've respected have gone through this very same process and heard these same words, it just struck a chord with me that I couldn't match with any other experience that I had in my life. And like I said, first degree, 
God, he's sitting there looking at my face, giving me, you know, a certain lecture. And I, you know, they start watering up and there's people in the lodge. You could tell that they're looking at me like that big guy over there is watering up with, (laughs) you know, and even he said it, you know, he, he turned around, he told me after that degree, he said there were times I had to just look away from you because I could tell that your heart was so invested in what you were hearing that it almost made him well up. That brotherhood, you can't trade for nothing. I think there's very few and far rare disciplines that we're going to find on this earth that have that same camaraderie and connection to another individual to be able to feel that kind of uh, synchronicity at the time. Same thing for the second degree where, you know, we keep, you know, you know, keep it. I can't, I don't want to say it. I'm saying it. Yeah. (laughs) But you're going along the line that I was. my next question was going to be is tell me about some of the more memorable moments. And you're talking about some of the degree work. Right. What are, maybe maybe stuff you can say, tell me about some of the, if there are events or times that you've traveled. We say in Mason you travel, you go to other lodges, you help other brothers do things. Tell me about maybe some of your, your better memories so far that you've had in Masonry. I've really had a, a great time with participating in the Scottish Rite Reunion. Love it. And... I think part of the reason that I love it is because of the fact that, you know, you, you draw that connection between some of the esoterics that, you know, I was already exposed to as a child and seeing how it all ties back in. You know, a lot of what we do has to do with repetition. And, it, of course, it, it's it's in itself, it is, it's its own discipline. You know, you deal with the rule of three, et cetera. But what people don't realize is that it's there for a reason. And especially when we were doing the Scottish Rite degrees, I have a couple of moments where you'll read something to the candidates and they're looking at you and some of them seem might seem a little bit disconnected or, you know, you know, the need coffee face, et cetera. But then you'll say that one word or that one phrase that might have struck a chord with something they may have studied before or come in contact with before or maybe something from the Blue Lodge that their eye just opened up to at that moment just from hearing what you just explained and then you tie in your own personal experience to that and they go oh you, you could see the the plug working at that moment and i think that's a that's important for us as masons to be able to be able to connect to our brethren because one of the things we learn is that everybody has a different reason for why they're there but that doesn't mean that this person's individual reason is any less genuine than yours what they need may be different from what you need. What I needed, you know, what I thought I was looking for was a deeper grasp of some of the esoterics that I might have misunderstood as a child or that I might have wanted to delve into as an adult. And what I found was responsibility. What I found was maturity. What I found was people that I wanted to mold my character after. I, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting any of that coming into Freemasonry at all. I was expecting just, you know, there's a lot of knowledge and, you know, you're going to be imparted. Mystery. And, you know, this is this is going to make everything <clears throat> make sense. And instead, what I found was a mirror. And I had to sit there and take a long, hard, good look at myself and say, are you able to sit there and stand in the same spaces as some of the great men that you're surrounded by 
do you have that personal responsibility to follow through like the people that are around you do? And, you know, I used to be the kind of person that would sit there and say, yeah, I'll do that for you. I'll, yeah, I'll take care of that. You know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get around to that kind of person. Oh, I don't and, like that guy. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you what, like that guy's long gone. Really? Because you don't have that choice anymore. When your word yeah, means everything. It means something, yeah. You know, it's like the gentleman said today when he said, you know, I could have faith in you, but putting my trust in you is entirely something different. So when you become the kind of individual that you want people to be able to trust, you have to follow through on your word. And there goes that mirror. Are you going to hold yourself accountable for what you say you're going to do? So speaking of that, I'm curious, now you're a Mason, where's your godfather in this picture? So when I petitioned, when I finally had the ability to petition for Peoria Lot number 31, the weird synchronicity in the universe happens where my best friend calls me from back in Jersey and says, hey, I'm getting married. All right, good for you. I'm happy for you. High five, whatever. No, I want you to be the best man. All right, cool. Well, I guess now I got to fly out to, I got to fly out to Jersey. Yeah, all right. And it just so happens that when I have to fly out to Jersey is the first month that I would have been able to have a petition in my hands. So I said, wait a minute. Going out to the East Coast, who would I like to have my first line sign of the... All right. Of course. So I sit there, go out to Jersey for the wedding, you know, and take a trip across the uh, George Washington Bridge and hike it into Long Island, and I go to my godfather's house. So he sees me, and he's, you know, I bring my family with me, and... At the time, he's like, you know, you're all right, everything's good. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's chat. And I produce my uh, petition. And he stopped everything, told everybody, like, all right, stay at the house. You guys stay right here. <laughs> me, me and him got to take a, take a quick drive. So we ended up going to the local staples, and you could see the glow in his face. He was excited, yeah. And about- you think I'm a serious individual. He's... About five, eight, five, seven, stocky. Marine, you said, right? Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he's like me. Like, maybe a bit of excitedness is our happiness, you know? And he Xeroxed his ID front and back. He Xeroxed his dues card front and back. And he tried to give me every bit of certification that he could. (laughs) when he signed off and, and put that along with it just so if they have any questions you tell them to call me these are all my numbers <laughs> That's funny. and he was it was the first time I've ever seen him excited that genuinely excited and he was he was elated and I could see it in his face so he was my first line signer and then Worshipful Gotti was my my second line signer and then all of my references just so happened to be, like I said, all of the Masons that I had come in contact with in those in-between years. So you can imagine when they're, you know, I can, I can only imagine I wasn't in the room when they read my petition, you know, but I can imagine they were just like, you know, is this guy? Yep. Is this guy? Yep. Is this guy? Yep. Is this guy? Yep. All right, cool. So luckily for me, everything went with the thumbs up and... uh here we are today. So what's your, have you attended Lodge with your godfather? Have you been back east since you were raised? Have you had a conversation with him about it? 
So he gave me a certain gift when he signed my uh, petition. Cool. And when I had taken that same gift, and I was so excited about the gift that I showed it to, you know, my mentor. And the look on my mentor's face was like, no, 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 no. keep that to yourself. You don't, you don't have that right now. (laughs) 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 And, you know, I I even wondered to myself, you know, even now becoming, you know, where we're at now, as far as being a master mason, like, wow, he gifted me that, you know, like he was definitely like, he didn't like his son, like his son is a mason. You know, he, he gifted that to me. Wow. So, you know. I ended up sending him a military coin and wrote him a seven-page front and back letter. Wow. Actual pen and paper. Pen and, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And anybody who knows my handwriting, I write like it's the con- a constitution in script. Oh, really? Oh, man. So just telling him about how he's been one of the truest father figures in my life, and I've tried to emanate his character and step in whenever there's a need because now I started to see in going through all the lessons of certain degrees of the ideology of what he would do and understanding why he did what he did of seeing a need there and just stepping in without like at the end of the day he wasn't my blood father he wasn't blood related to my mother but he stepped in and always had this sense of rescuing me when the time was right keeping me out of trouble when just when I was about to slip up that really good way that could have entirely changed the course of my life. He did what we talk about in masonry. I like to say he did what we talk about doing. We take good men and make them better. And he took you and made you better. I like to hope so. You know, I, (laughs) I, I don't, it's not that I don't give myself that much credit. I still think I have a long way to go. And that's why I say that I found a great deal of, discipline in this fraternity because of the fact of the responsibility that we have to take in our actions. So that's a good transition, talking about a long way to go. What do you see in the future of Freemasonry for you, or what do you, I don't know if there's something more you hope to get out or some things you hope to do? I definitely hope to get a better understanding of the Scottish Rite ritual. And another great mentor down at the Scottish Rite, Larry Levine, who I look up to immensely. I hope to study more with him, especially with regard to his program that he has over there with going through the degrees on a one-by-one basis and really dissecting them and seeing how they apply, especially not only in just uh, the the Freemason as far as the craft aspect, but as far as how do we apply that lesson to our everyday lives. And what most people don't realize is that that just practical application is really it holds you accountable to who you are and what you say you're going to do like I said before but what I want what I would like to do is to essentially have more education for the Blue Lodge that I belong to I feel like that would be my way of giving back but I, you know I'm not egotistical enough to sit there and say oh I know this and I want to teach them that it's like no let's all have an opportunity where we can learn stuff together like we heard, you know, we, I didn't mention at the beginning of the interview, but we are in Casa Grande this weekend. We are at the uh, Grand Lodge of Arizona Leadership Conference. And one of the things we heard about was the importance of, of education in the Blue Lodge. Right. 
Yeah. Not only that, I mean, we we talk about bridging the gap between the younger generation and the older generation. And to be honest with you, I think because of the fact that I'm at that median age of being 41, I I I, I still have that mindset of when I walk into the lodge, like I'm among my brothers. And even my fiance said it. She goes, it's always a bug out whenever I talk to you. I said, why is that? She goes, because your friends are either in their 20s or your friends are either in their 70s. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of masonry. Right. That's, uh, that's what we do. And I sit there and I say, I said, I wouldn't trade any of those friends for, for anything. There's a lot to learn from each and every one of their individual experiences. And I find that that right there, humbling yourself to be able to just sit back and listen to people is a discipline in itself. And even this weekend, like I said, oh man, there's one individual that I, I love talking to, uh, Worshipful Master Bob Weed. Oh man, that guy. I'd like to study with him a lot more too. To be oh, honest with you. Yeah. I believe he's the uh, Worshipful Past Master of the Kingman Lodge. Okay. And he's a gamut of information. I just love downloading from him whenever so, I run into him. Thinking about being a gamut of information, I guess the last thing I'll ask you is, what, what do you want to say to people who might be coming up after you, or maybe people who might be listening to this 50 or 100 years from now, what would you want to say to them about masonry? About masonry is, if they're not, if they're not a mason, and they're thinking about being a mason, be ready to be accountable for your actions. Be ready to have that personal responsibility to yourself and to your brethren. This is... <laughs> Choo-choo. This is a serious discipline that the rewards are internal. And there's something in it for yourself that everybody else will notice and you might not notice right off the bat. But if you take heed to the people that are around you and you really listen and you really just be humble and you know follow your guides you will see a dramatic change in yourself that is immeasurable and like I said I found maturity in this and I hope that anybody else that comes into this that might be maybe a younger mason or might be an older individual that's just looking for something to belong to, that there's nothing else in this world that is quite like this. And it is the most beautiful science that I've ever observed in my life. And I hope that my contribution to it is a beautiful one and one that's, I don't want to say noted or recognized, but just I want to play my part. And hopefully my drop of water is bountiful and beautiful as opposed to I don't want to take away from I want to give to. So... That's a, that's a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> Antonio, thanks for taking the time Absolutely. to do an interview, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you.